Alright, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we were for our scripture reading. Um, and as Joshua mentioned, we're going to focus in on verse 6 in particular this morning. Um, there's not much I enjoy more than a bonfire. I love having a bonfire, especially on a nice, cool, crisp fall evening, but I'll take it any time, anywhere, in the backyard or in the woods. I just really enjoy that, especially if I have a cup of coffee or maybe a s'more. I mean, can't get any better than that, you know. Um, and I, I like to, to keep the, the fire going. I like to be the one that goes and gets the wood and puts it on. And, and you can't sit around a fire without having a stick, right, that you're always moving things around and, and poking things and lifting logs. And I, I don't know, at least that's that's how I am with it. Um, you always have to be moving things around. Uh, at our house, sometimes we'll have a fire, and uh, the kids will be out there, and, you know, a fire means s'mores, and so we'll have s'mores. And then it's bedtime, and they'll go to bed. But it, sometimes Andrew and I want to go back out there by ourselves, and so we'll, we'll go back out afterwards. And usually between having put the kids to bed and then coming back out, the fire has, has died down. So you got to figure out a way to get this thing going, and uh, I enjoy doing that. That's you know you're you're blowing on the fire, providing some oxygen, or lifting things up, or new kindling, or something. You got to get this this fire going. That this it's been neglected. Um, I think our hearts can be like that fire sometimes. That that it just it gets neglected. There's heat there. There's embers there. There's coals there. There's something there that's still burning, but. But somehow th- that these desires that we have that are good, that are based on truth, have just sort of died down. And, and they're not as, as, as hot as they were. There, there's no flames there. It dies down for, for various reasons. But I think also that, that, that prayer is a discipline that, that is, is like a fire that just continually, if we are not, if we are not vigilant, that the flames will go out. If we are not seeking God through prayer, then then it will become coal, it will become ash, it will become not not as vibrant as it can be if we are not always stirring that fire up. There's different reasons. I mean, we get busy, or, or maybe things are just going well, and so we don't feel, feel particularly the need to, to pray, or we maybe get cynical about prayer, or we just get flat out lazy. <laughs> There's a thousand reasons for why this happens, why we lose that passion for prayer. And if I can be honest, the reason that we are in part talking about prayer here at the beginning of the year is because I feel in many ways like that fire has just gone down. And I want to stir it up in my own heart. And I know that if it goes down in my heart, it goes down in your heart too. And so we just need to take time to pause and to remember the necessity of prayer and why it is the heartbeat of our lives as Christians. And so that's my hope this morning. We're not really going to delve into the passage like we typically do. We're going to focus just on this one sentence. And my hope is that by God's Spirit, we would be stirred up to prayer, that that we would allow these just kind of a, a fresh fire to light in our hearts to remind us of how important prayer is. Last week I introduced just this simple thought that I've been meditating on for a while, that prayer is an act of faith. I think that if we had to put one thought for this morning, that's, that's all I want you to think about. Prayer is an act of faith. That, that when we pray, we are believing, we are trusting certain things about who God is, about how He works in the world. 
I think we could almost say that prayer is the act of faith. Is there anything more basic, a more basic expression of faith than prayer? I think it's basic, and it's also this glorious expression of our of our trust in God. We we looked at this last week. We saw that that prayer is going to flow from a heart that understands and believes the justice of God, that God is doing justice in the world. It's going to flow from a heart that believes that God has regard for us, that He He loves us, He cares for us. And this week we're going to go to Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, as Joshua said, we find the hall of faith, a who's who of 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 past saints. Um, and what it looks like to walk in faith. And in the midst of these biographical sketches, uh, the author of Hebrews is going to give us some really clear expressions of what faith is. And I want to think about faith and apply these things specifically to prayer. Verse 1 is one that we all know very well. Now, faith is the assurance, the substance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence of Things not seen. That's something we've heard before. And that, that's going to come immediately after an encouragement to, to not shrink, shrink back in the face of, of persecution. And what follows now is this encouragement of believers who, who believed things that they couldn't see. Who, who believed God's good plans for them in the midst of present difficulties or things that they couldn't see. They held firmly in their minds and in their hearts things that were invisible. They believed more in what God was doing and what God said than what they could see or, or feel or experience. That's what faith is. Then there's this other sentence in, in Hebrews 11, verse 6. And this is the sentence we're going to meditate on and think how it relates to prayer. I want us to think about how, how this would help us to pray. and hope that we'll walk away renewed with this desire to pray. It says in Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Let me read it again. And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If prayer is an act of faith, then I think the first thing that we can see in this verse is that prayer pleases God. Prayer pleases God. Paul says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, which would mean that with faith, or if we have faith, that faith pleases God. And if I'm right in saying that 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 prayer is this expression of faith, maybe even the most basic and pure form of faith, then we can say that prayer pleases God. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to please God, and so prayer pleases God. But what? And I think a good question to ask is why does faith in why why does faith in general and why does prayer in particular please God? What, what is pleasing to God about faith, and what is pleasing to God about about prayer. And I think the most basic answer, you can continue to think about, that's a great question to think about, but I think the most basic answer is that because prayer and faith glorify Him alone, they make God look great. And that is the great desire of God's heart, is for Him to be exalted for who He is. Faith in general and prayer specifically rightly understand who God is and rightly understand who we are. And they make God the source of all of our hope 
and of, of all of our joy and all of our blessing. When we come near to God in praise and in thanksgiving and confession in repentance, in asking Him for help and for blessing, then we are rightly understanding who we are and we are rightly understanding who God is. We are fully and completely dependent upon Him and that glorifies God. We watch a lot of PBS at our house uh, and they tell you before each program who sponsored that, who made that program possible, right? So they, they talk about all these individuals or, or groups, and then every program they say, and by viewers like you. you know, the viewers like you who, who gave money. And very often I will look at Andrea and I say, that's us. We are viewers that have made this possible. Whether you like it or not, Andrea, we made Antiques Roadshow possible. She hates that show, and I love it for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> so there's, there's something about and and in saying that, that you provided this, that you made this possible, the, PBS is trying to say, you guys are great. Now, there's other people that have given more money to PBS than I will ever even make in my lifetime, but but still, I'm a part of that, and, and they're saying, you did this, and that, that, that makes me Look good. That's, that's the point. So when we pray and when we have faith, we're coming to God and it glorifies Him because it says, God, You are the source. We have no hope apart from You. And that makes God look great. And so faith and prayer in particular pleases God because it lifts Him up. It makes Him look great as the source of all things and the goal of all things. God is honored in prayer because in prayer, we are believing Him. We are believing who He is. We are believing that He is the source of blessing and forgiveness, that, that He alone deserves praise. We're rightly honoring Him. And the text tells us what we believe about Him, doesn't it? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe first, what? That He exists. So when we pray, we believe that God exists. We believe that God exists. Now, you can take that as the most basic form, right? Just, just saying that if, unless we believe in God, we won't pray. Um, a true atheist would never acknowledge prayer as any kind of option because who, who are they going to pray to? There's no one to pray to. This is what you might call absolute atheism, a complete denial of the existence of God or of any God. But I think there's also a, a sense of, of atheism, of denial of God, that, that may, it may be that it's, it's, it's not acknowledged, not, it may acknowledge the possibility of God, but it would deny any of his working in the world. Maybe that's not pure atheism, but it's more of a deism that says God created the heavens and the earth, he created this world, but he has no interest, he has no power in the world as it is now. So in a sense, God wound up the watch of the world and then he just lets it go. Or, or that the world is dominoes and he tips the first one and then it's just going to kind of go the way it's going to go. But, but that kind of belief is actually, it's a denial of God because it's a denial of who he is, of who he truly is. It may not be absolute atheism, but it is a form of it. There are others who would deny God because they... The less they think they have to think about God, then the less they have to think about offending Him. The less they have to think they have to live in fear of Him because of their sins being punished. If there's no God, then I don't have to wrestle with the presence of evil in the world. If there's no God, then I don't have to worry about the fact that I may have offended Him. The existence of sin in the world, the existence of sin in our own hearts, may cause us to deny God. Or deny at least that God is in control of the world. 
or that God is going to hold me accountable for the things that I do. Now, most of us here are going to proclaim belief in God. I believe that there is a God. So we would say, I believe that He exists. I believe that He is. But very often, we don't live as if He exists. We are practical atheists. In the practice of our life, we act as if there is no God. And nowhere is this kind of unbelief seen more clearly than in our lack of prayer. We don't pray. It says here, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So, whoever fails to draw near to God does not believe that he exists. Prayerless Christians are practical atheists. To to not pray is to reveal a lack of faith in God. Not a complete lack of faith, totally. A lack of faith in God. Because we're, we're trusting something, or we're trusting someone. We're just not trusting God in that moment. Our practical atheism, it morphs, it changes, not just simply into, from, it changes from atheism to idolatry. Because we're not trusting God, we're trusting something else. And most often the thing that we are trusting, the person that we are trusting, is ourselves. We start to think that we are fine on our own. Who needs prayer anyways? I mean, I, I've, I've got this all figured out. If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. So why would I ask God for help? There's nothing human ingenuity can't accomplish. I mean, we put a man on the moon for crying out loud. Why do we need God to do anything? And in our age of technology, I can pull out my phone and I can know anything. Why would I need God? We start to worship ourselves. Instead of offering adoration and praise to God, we offer it to ourselves. We don't confess our sins to God because that's a private matter. Of in my own life. It has to do with my heart. It doesn't have to do with rebellion against a holy God that's going to hold me accountable one day. We give no thanks to God at meals or any other time because we are the ones who earn the money. We're the ones who bought the food. We're the ones who built the business. We're the ones who went to work every day. And we earn this by our own sweat and the work of our own hands. We don't ask God for anything because we can handle it all just fine. Thank you very much. That is practical atheism. When we When we neglect God, we are saying to Him, God, I don't need you. When we don't pray, we are saying, I'm fine without you, God. None of us would say those kinds of things out loud, especially in church, right? (laughs) But, But our prayerlessness reveals our faithlessness. And our faithlessness looks like practical atheism, something that says God does not exist. And if we refuse to worship God, we will worship someone or something else because we are made to worship. So the first thing we need to say is, God, forgive us. Forgive us for our faithlessness. Forgive us for our idolatry. But if, if we really believe, if we really believe that God exists, and we do, if you believe that God is, and I know that you do, then we will pray. We will pray if we believe that He really exists. And the more we we pray, the more we evidence how much we really truly believe that God exists. And I don't think the force of this passage is just simply believing that there is a God, but rather that it's rightly thinking about who God is, how He has been revealed in the world and in the Scriptures. So if our practical atheism seems to deny the presence of God 
the providence of God, the power of God, then a robust faith and a robust prayer life is going to affirm all of these things. It's going to affirm, first of all, God's presence. If we believe in God, we're going to believe in His presence, that God is over all and through all and in all. We will ask the question of Psalm 139 where the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? We really believe that God exists and we are going to answer like He does and we're going to say, Nowhere. You are everywhere, God. You are in everything. And if we believe that, then as Psalm 139 bears out, we're going to be filled with praise for how wonderful God's thoughts are towards us. We're going to ask Him to defeat all our enemies. We're going to, we're going to say, God, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Expose the sin that's there. If we believe in His presence, that He truly is with us, then we will pray. If we believe that God is present, then as it says in Hebrews 13.5, we will be content with what we have because we believe that as God has said, He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. We will believe that. And along with His presence, we will trust in His providence. His, his, his providence, His sovereign control over all things, his, his authority over all people and events in the world. And the wonder that somehow prayer speaks to Him and and asks Him for the desires of our hearts, and He listens. We, we will hold on to providence. We'll be like Paul. Think about Paul. I love the end of Acts, where, where Paul just has such confidence in God's providence in his life. God has, he has prayed, and he desires to go to Rome, and, and God comes to him and stands by his side and encourages him and says, you will preach the gospel in Rome. And God continues to encourage him that, that he will be there. And he's on the boat. And, and it's everyone, the, the, everyone's losing their mind. All these seasoned sailors are, are, think they're all going to die. The waves are crashing in. And Paul stands up in the midst of them in Acts 27, 22. And he says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, Paul says, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So, take heart, men, for I have faith in God. So he says, I love that. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Faith in the providence, the sovereignty of God. When we believe that, when we believe that God is, that He is sovereign over all, that He is in control of all the minutia of our lives, then we will seek Him. We will know that He alone is the one that's orchestrating all the events that surround us. We're going to step into trials. We're going to step into difficulties. And we're not going to say, where are you, God? We're going to say, where are you, God? Because I know you are here somewhere. I know you are in control of this in some way. You have been with me. You have, you have heard me. Or you, you are working for my good. You are working for my growth in Christ-likeness in some way. We have faith like Abraham. Abraham, who walked into a place he had no idea where he was going, but he believed that God was leading him. And he was looking for that country that he couldn't see. Well, faith like Moses, who later on in that chapter, he says that he chose mistreatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He trusted in the providence of God because he was looking to the reward. We will pray, God, let your kingdom come in this earth. We'll be like Job. We'll trust God even when He takes everything away from us. Because His name can be praised and He is sovereign over all things. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's in control. I trust His sovereignty. I know that He is. I know that He exists. We look at everything in life as somehow ordained by God. What a way to walk through life. That everything that we do, all our steps are ordered by God. So our mouths can always be filled with praise. Always be filled with thanksgiving. There's nothing in life that we can't thank God for. If, he, if we believe that He is, that He is that He is providentially, sovereignly in control of everything, then we can trust Him fully and thank Him always. I think the key to, to praying without ceasing, to praying continually, is to really believe that God is in control of all things, and we will see Him in all things. We will be trusting that He is in control of all things. We'll never run out of things to give thanks for. If we truly believe that God is, that He, that he exists as He is revealed in the world and in Scripture, then we will believe in His presence. We will believe in His providence. We will believe in His power. We really believe that God actually is all-powerful. I think prayer is one of the clearest acknowledgments that we are helpless and that God is powerful. When we pray, we are pausing and we are ceasing any kind of activity. You get on your knees in a helpless position. You close your eyes. You lift empty hands to God. And we say, God, I am powerless to do anything. But you are all-powerful. We say, I am weak, God, but you are strong. We say, I am unable, God, but you are able to do anything. Prayer is this expression of deep dependence. It's an act of faith that says, God, you are all-powerful. You can do exceedingly more than anything I can even ask or imagine. And Scripture gives example after example of the power that's available to us when we pray. That God is all-powerful. And if we believe that, it's going to overflow in prayer. Let me read to you from this book. I'm trying to work through this year. E.M. Bounds on prayer. It's a, a classic book. And... Um, he, just listen to him talk about the power of God in prayer throughout Scripture. It's sort of like a supplement to Hebrews 11, though it's not inspired. <laughs> it says, The possibilities of prayer may be seen from the various conditions it reaches and the diverse ends it secures. So, the things that happen when people pray. Elijah prayed over a dead child and he came to life. Elisha did the same thing. Christ prayed at Lazarus' grave and Lazarus came forth. Peter kneeled down and prayed beside dead Dorcas, and she opened her eyes and sat up. And Peter presented her alive to the distressed company. Jacob's praying, we saw this last week, changed Esau's murderous hate into the kisses of the tenderest brotherly embrace. God gave Jacob and Esau to Rebekah because Isaac prayed for her. Jacob was the child of Rachel's prayers. Hannah's praying gave Samuel to Israel. John the Baptist was given to Elizabeth barren and past the age of childbearing in answer to the prayer of Zacharias. Elisha's praying brought famine or harvest to Israel. As he prayed, so it was. Ezra's praying carried the Spirit of God in heartbreaking conviction to the entire city of Jerusalem and brought them in tears of repentance back to God. Isaiah's praying carried the shadow of the sun back ten degrees on the dial of Ahaz. In answer to Hezekiah's prayer, an angel slew 185,000 of Sennacherib's army in one night. Daniel's praying opened to him the vision of prophecy, helped him to administer the affairs of a mighty kingdom, and sent an angel to shut the mouths of lions. 
the angel was sent to Cornelius, and the gospel was opened. The gospel was opened through Cornelius to the Gentile world because his prayers and alms had become a memorial before God. Acts 10.4 Then Bounds quotes Hebrews 11.32 And what shall, I more, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And then he goes on of Paul and Peter and John and the apostles and the holy company of saints, reformers and martyrs who through praying subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Hebrews 11, 33-34. We read Scripture, and Scripture is this testimony of the power of God in prayer. Do we believe in the power of God? Do we believe that this is who God is? Do we believe that God is? Do we believe that God exists? Do we believe that He is present in all things? That His providence reigns over all things? That His His power is able to do all things? If we believe that He exists, then we will pray. But not only does the author of Hebrews say that we need to believe that God is, if we are to have a faith that pleases God, but what else does he say? We must believe that God exists and that He rewards. We must believe that God is a rewarder. If we simply believe that God is, but we don't believe that He is a rewarder, that His heart is set on doing good for us, then I don't think that we will pray. If we trust that God is present, but we think that His presence is for our ill, then we're not going to pray. If we believe that God is sovereign, but that that we as His children have no bearing on what He does in this world, then we will not pray. If, if we believe that God is powerful, but that He does not love us, then we will not pray. I'm reminded of the leper in Luke 5. Maybe you remember when we studied this. Where this leper says to the Lord, he says, Lord, if you will, he says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He believes fully in the power of Jesus. But he's not sure if Jesus is willing to make him clean. He believed that God existed, but he wasn't sure if Jesus was a rewarder. But Jesus shows that he's not only able, but he is actually also willing to cleanse and to help lepers. And you remember, he reaches out his hand and he touches this leper and he says, I will be clean. He is able and he is willing there's this mystery in prayer. And, we much, and in prayer, we always need to say, Lord, your will be done. We are always asking, but we are submitting to the will of God. But at the same time, Jesus is, is a clear example. To the, he, he clearly testifies to the truth that God is a rewarder. That He not only is, is present and sovereign and powerful, but that He is for us. That His will is, is for our good as His children. That He wants what is best for us. And it's not simply instances like Luke 5 that show us that, but Jesus' life from, from the very beginning to the moment that, that when, when He comes into the world, to this present moment as He intercedes for us, even to the future when He comes and He's going to take us back to Himself, all of that testifies to the fact that God is a rewarder, that He is for us, that He, that he cares for us. And nothing is more clear 
except for the cross of Christ, where Jesus becomes our substitute. The only reason we can come to God in any way is because of what Christ has done, that He has made a way, that He has taken our guilt, He has taken our shame upon Himself. He paid the penalty for our sin in His body. He suffered the punishment that we deserve. And He who spared not His own Son, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If He's given us the Son, what else would He withhold from us? So when we first come to Jesus, we come to Him with empty hands. We admit our our total need. We ask for His mercy. We acknowledge that He is the only true and living God. We ask that He will save us, that He will forgive us. Not because we deserve it, because we don't, but rather because it shows... He's shown us His love in the cross because He's he's paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be accepted. We come to Him. And when we first come to Jesus, we are coming trusting that He is a rewarder of those who would seek Him. He is one who will reward us if we come to Him in repentance and faith. The first prayer is the prayer that makes all other prayers possible. And it's the prayer that says, Jesus, I deserve death for my sins, but I am trusting in Your life. It's the prayer that says, I believe that my only hope for salvation is found in your death and resurrection. And that first prayer, in many ways, models what prayer is to be throughout our whole lives. It's a confession. Our our, our prayers always have this element of confession of sin, of thanks for blessing, of praise to God that that, that, that that He is and that He wants to give us grace. It's believing that God longs to bless us. These are all prayers of faith, and they all glorify God as the giver of all good gifts. They exalt Jesus as the rewarder that He truly is. We need to believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder, and if we believe that, then we will pray. I think that's the closing challenge here, though, because He's a rewarder, but who is He a rewarder to? We believe that He exists and that He rewards. There's not a period there. He rewards those who seek Him. We must diligently seek God in prayer. We must diligently seek God in prayer. There's a condition here, isn't there? It's strange, actually, because really believing that God exists and really believing that He is a rewarder could actually cause us to not seek Him in prayer. Couldn't it? I believe that God exists. I believe He is in control of all things. I believe He is all-powerful. So why would I pray? Because He's in control. I I believe that God is a rewarder. I believe that God loves me. There's so many people that believe that God loves them and cares for them. And He does. But that could be a reason to say, well, why would I pray? I know that God loves me, that His heart is for my good. So I'm not going to pray. So there's the condition here. We must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That condition should wake us up. That we have to diligently seek God in prayer and in all our lives. Or prayer, prayer will be like like a gold mine that's given to us that we never dig in. Imagine that that you receive that as some sort of inheritance. It's a gold mine. And you know there's gold in there. Some relative that you've never met gives it to you. And they say, you're set for life. You own this thing. And then you never go digging. You never go look for the gold. How foolish would that be? And there's a sense in which we can believe that the... You you even believe that the gold's in there. You're just not willing to go in and get it. 
We can believe all these things about God, but we will never reap the, the benefits of it until we start the hard work of praying, of diligently seeking after God. And prayer is hard work. I mean, especially at the beginning, right? There's times where I just don't want to pray. I think there's something I need to do where it's, it's, just, it's just hard to pray. We have to work. We have to work in that mind. You've got to dig hard. But the more you dig, the more you become like the seven dwarfs. And the more you whistle while you work, right? They worked in a mind, but they enjoyed it somehow. And prayer actually becomes a reward in and of itself. That it's hard work at the beginning, and there's times where we just have to fight in prayer. But there are times, too, when we, we love to pray. We want to pray. That is our desire. And it's going to take time to get there. But slowly but surely, we will love it, and prayer will become a reward on top of all the blessings of the answers to prayer that we receive. But we have to seek God diligently. And let me just give you one final thought as a motivation to keep seeking God diligently. And it's this, that when we pray, we are always rewarded. I think I believe that. Do you believe that? When we pray, we are always rewarded. Every single time. Listen to these promises from God's Word. God says to us in Jeremiah 29.13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. These are words of Jesus. Matthew 7, 7-8 Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's no equivocation there. That's what he says. Ask, seek, find. Matthew 21, 22. If you believe, if you have faith, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Matthew 21, 22. Matthew 11, Mark 11, 24. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Just take these at face value. John 15, 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here's a promise from James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives to all generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And finally, 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We ought to hold on to those things. We ought to believe if we pray, God will reward. God will listen. Sometimes that reward is going to come now. It's going to come in the goodness that we see in answered prayer now. We're going to know the goodness of God. We're going to see things like, like I mentioned at the beginning, this, this man being released from prison in China. What a, that's an answer to prayer. Don't mark it down as anything else. That's God hearing the prayers of His children and releasing this man. And then there are people who will die in prison and they will not be released. Because the answer to that prayer will be like the answer to Abraham's prayer. In here, he was looking for a city, and it wasn't the city that was in the actual physical land of promise. He was looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 13 of of Hebrews 11 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't get what they were asking for. 
what they did. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. There is that sense again in which we pray that God's kingdom would come here on earth and there are glimpses that we have of it. And yet all our prayers will be fulfilled one day. We will be rewarded for everything that we have prayed for when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And in the present and in the future we can know that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who would seek Him. And we see that. We see His existence and we see His goodness as a rewarder most clearly in Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer, isn't He? When you're in Sunday school, any question asked, Jesus is always the right answer. Not every question, but most every question. If you're there, you say, Jesus, the Sunday school teacher is going to say, very good, Andy. That's correct. There's a deeper sense, though, in which I would say this, that Jesus is the answer to every prayer. Isn't he? Jesus is the answer to all our prayers. We will be rewarded because we have been rewarded. We have everything that we need in the person of Christ. Everything that we need, all the blessings that we could ever ask for are found in Jesus. He is a rewarder, and He has rewarded us. He's given us salvation. He's given us His Son. And so we can can pray with confidence that we will be rewarded because we have been rewarded. We must believe. Prayer is an act of faith. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that He is present in all things? His providence reigns over all things. He is powerful to do anything. Anything else that you can think about the character of God, do you believe that? If you believe that He exists, you will pray. Do you believe that He is a rewarder? That He desires to give good things to His children? Then we will pray. He asks us, He says, I will be a rewarder if you diligently seek Me. I pray that God would stir up our hearts, right? To, to fan these flames and that we would, we would just long to pray to God, believing who He is. And we would pray with the confidence that every time we pray, every single time you pray, God will reward you in some way. If not in this life, then in the next. And every time it's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's be people of faith. And let's show our faith by praying continually.